We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is John Wall. John is a Swedish coach and analyst and is currently CEO of Game Insight Soccer. He has just released a new book alongside Hans Baca called Rotations and Interchanges, inspired by Marcelo Bielsa. So I finished the book over the weekend, was really excited to get John on because... Really enjoyed the book, of course, but it's a lot different from anything I've read in terms of the content and the way it provokes you to think as a coach. So I wanted to talk about that and the inspiration behind it and Marcelo Bielsa himself, of course. So hope you enjoy this. We would love to hear your thoughts at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. This podcast is brought to you again by Sports Lab 360, a new and innovative online program focusing on youth player development from a tactical and soccer IQ perspective. If you haven't come across their program yet, I would highly recommend checking it out. Perfect for any coaches who are looking to go the extra mile to enhance the developmental experiences for their players. A little bit more coming up at halftime. Here's John. Enjoy. John, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really excited to have you on. Well, thanks. It's my honor. It's good to be here. (laughs) First off, obviously we're gonna we're gonna talk on the book quite a bit. What just about what the book did to me? Basically, you know, I just said to you there before we started recording that it's difficult to write a book about someone and then have a message that don't copy that person. And that's what I loved, and he almost jumped on it like on the second page. This is not a a how to guide, almost, you know, and how important it was to be yourself and find yourself. Was there an inspiration behind the message there? Do you think there's too much copying and coaching today? Yeah, it is, but it's more a reflection of our society at the moment. I think we're we're constantly chasing chasing information, or we're chasing the next thing. So it's kind of like being a like a counterweight against that whole mass movement that's going on and all the YouTube watching of free material in a way. Do you think we almost present the superstar coach as something that it's not? You know, like as we, we maybe misrepresent coaching in, in social media and in just media just in general today as this genius standing on the sideline when in reality, 99% of it is is tough, tough work, right? It is by far. Uh, it's not based on a God-given talent or whatever you want to call it or that they're geniuses. I think they hate that word because that's going to be a pitfall later on for them. Um, so nothing is spelled genius. It's actually just a, a collection of a lot of things. Um, obviously, players too, because they're the ones who's performing it. So, but well, at the same time, you got to admire what they do. These coaches too, but you have to keep it on to a certain point that you don't want to hijack their experiences and their methods and the way of doing it. And what it happens is that everyone becomes a victim of, the, of themselves, really. 
basically if if you thought that if you were copying somebody else whenever it goes wrong and it always goes wrong you tend to blame the players if it was successful for somebody else and then you miss all the learning yeah you do and uh, but obviously that's part of a coaching process too to copy to to try it out and trying to apply it but without any filter but you have to put an end to that eventually where does it stop and eventually you're just going to end up being a clone which would be the worst thing for the coaching community as much as i love pep and klopp and bielsa i mean the last thing we need is for hundred thousand coaches to come out that are cloned just like them (laughs) yeah and that means if someone is contradicting all that they're probably going to be winning because they're doing something way different than anyone else speaking about being different so quite a few things that that stood out to me in the book the first was i love a good quote in a book and i was a little bit taken back that yours was song lyrics and i connected that 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 was an inspiration for for you personally we talk about players lacking that creative spark do you think coaches have the same issues yeah we do and obviously Players are a reflection of, of ourselves, and uh, they're a reflection of the society too. But but if you look at it, I mean, creativity. How do you spark creativity on your own? And when you listen to authors and what they go through, it's not. It just happens, and there's this magical flow that goes through them, and all of a sudden, magic. It's actually putting it down to repetitively doing stuff and say, I'm actually going to write this section in this amount of time. And I'm going to do it every Thursday until I get it done. But in order to really create creativity, I think we need to step out of the whole football spectacle, sorry, soccer in a way, and actually look with a wider horizon on stuff. So as part of your inspiration your create creative spark does that come from music art how does that work or for me i'm a big fan of pop culture because that reflects at the time where i'm living uh, so smiths has obviously been a big part of my growing up um, and music when i want to zoom out or in a way zooming in into like a problem I use music and I have different moods that I want to go at. I can go anything from Vivaldi to heavy metal. And for me, that's been working out pretty all right. For the missus, she complains when I'm zooming out too much. But yeah, that's how it is, right? (laughs) One of the first things that jumped out to me in the book was during one of the kind of tutorial pieces was don't fix anything. And this is a quote, don't fix anything. It has to be a joint operation between the player and the coach. If not, things will never be improved or fixed. And that that really jumped out. I took a screenshot of it and started sending to a couple of people when we started discussing it. And I wanted to chat to you about it. You know, yeah. Can you give me an example? Uh, and then does it apply to every area of the game? Well, sure, you can stop me now because this it's a big question and it deserves a big answer too, right? Mm-hmm. But yet again, it's my view. Um, Captain Class is a great book out of looking at this and what they've been looking at is big dynasties in the history of a sport. 
with five players or more. And usually it's it's not the coach that makes the big difference. It's the players and certainly that you have attributes or characters that are willing to do tasks that no one else is willing to do. And the other one is change, how to change things when things are hard. It's by, written by Chip and Dan Heath. It's a, it's a great piece. It's a big recommendation for me. But going back to the big thing is that you cannot fix anything unless the player are willing to change, right? And uh, in a way, football or soccer is a reflection of behavior. And a tendency for us as coaches is that we focus too much on the nitty-gritty stuff. Oh, you should take that touch like this, blah, 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 like that. Yet again, that's my view, and I'm, I'm part of that problem too. But what you do need to have is more of a common ground with the player because everything is a process. And yes, it might take more time, but yet, yet again, what kind of chain or house are you building? Is it owned by everyone or is it just you? And the problem is that things are going to turn out to be going bad. Uh, if it's all you, guess who the player is going to blame? Yeah, you. <laughs> so in order to create accountability, you need to have shareability. That's probably not an English word either, but it works, right? Yeah, I want to stay on this because I would be, you know, especially in my college days, I would be awful at this where, yeah. you know, the pro kind of the process that I would go through for, I suppose, fixing something in my eyes, fixing something would be spot the problem, point it out to everyone and then work alongside, maybe alongside players in fixing the problem. But yeah. uh, where would you see that to be like, all right, pull yourself away? Because, you, you know, as, as coaches, we'll spot the problem. But when do we step back and let the players take it over? And yet again, with the big thing that we've been over-organizing, I mean, Germany is crying out right now that they have for players who cannot solve problems on their own in a way. And they're buying English players instead, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a big problem. Let's make it with a smaller microscope in a way. You fixing the problem for the players. You're taking care of their problem and you're identifying it. You give them solutions and everything, but they're not owning the problem, right? So therefore you can fix them even if it's the day before a game or whatever, and you win big rah, 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 but it's, too thin and it's never owned and it's never gonna you're gonna fix those players one day and another day you need to pull them back up on it too so so if you want that kind of process fine that on a short term good but when you're talking player development i wouldn't go there that's really really interesting because especially yeah. in my experience short term that worked in terms of cultures but long term, whenever you're trying to move towards independence and a bit more responsibilities, it I could never get there, and that was probably because no. of jumping in. And therefore, you you start to dwell on yourself when you come up. My God, they cannot solve anything. Blah blah blah. These players, well, flip on it, and you see you're part of the problem. So to take your time on this might actually be 
the bigger thing is. So instead of chasing like 10 or 12 things to fix, make three things more solid. Because obviously the players have gotten to the spot where you're at. You might be an example now, but you're referring to yourself. So instead of like making the 12 things and everyone thinks it's all good, but what happens when you leave that place or you leave those players? Because that that comes into, there's a lot about the book. There's a lot of independence the players are given to make decisions and have movement. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But yeah, I suppose what I'm getting from you there is that, you know, we, we talk a lot over in the US about culture. And yeah. where I see us struggling is that we don't link the soccer to the off the field piece. But, mm. I may, you know, maybe it's something we should look a little bit closer at. Well, I mean, there's good examples in this world. And uh, obviously, the All Blacks are great at it. They've been slimming it down instead of creating another department. So how can you make it more accountable for everyone? Because what I love is players that, even if it's like 5 or 10%, that I actually taught them or that they learned from me, I'll be glad. But then they're going to remember me from that. And it's probably something they can carry with them the rest of their lives. So. I love this here piece as well. Review yourself after every session. Don't beat yourself up, but ask more from yourself. Again, just, just really well put, basically, because sometimes we go back and we're disappointed with the session. But yeah, don't beat yourself up about it. But at the same time, yeah, have those standards. How would you advise coaches to assess their own performance and maybe change a few things to improve? First of all, start actually assessing your own performance, not put it in within the team context. Result won or lost, that might be trying to separate yourself from it, but later on link yourself to it. And beat myself up, that's something I've been doing myself obviously and it's not been putting me in a better spot for the next day the good thing about soccer or football was we the rest of the world like to call it is that there's always the next day but you need to actually create like a standard of performance what's the minimum level that i'm actually always going to perform on and aspire higher than that and actually trying to write things down. That's been helping me a lot. And just instead of thinking it and think that I remember from the other day, actually write it down, reflections, and trying to actually find your, where you can give yourself credit. So even if a game is lost, you might see that the performance actually was great. So it's the same kind of thing, that kind of balance, really. Is that why in the book you, you know, you urge coaches to think statistically and, and link that to their play? I mean, it's uh, football is on a tendency. I mean, the 21st club, they talk about that 65% of the time, the better team wins. So therefore it means like 36% of the time, the worst side is going to win. So it's a slump based sport based on occurrences that might happen but the performance might be good so in order to 
aid the coaches to have a bigger artillery at their disposal, trying to think a bit more logical and statistically might help them over time. Another one that jumped out at me, and this is a quote, an organization is just a foundation and should, or organization is just a foundation and should never limit you as a coach and your players creativity to create a new space. And again, jumped out at me because struggle that I've, that I've often encountered is that balance between structure and freedom, yeah. uh, maybe trust thrown in there as well, perhaps, but you know, especially defensive minded coaches, which, which I have definitely been, what tips or advice would you have for coaches in, in, in finding that balance or even just allowing more freedom? Let's just say that you know, there's an English saying about killing your darling. And uh, stand-up comedian at times get roasted, right? Mm-hmm. How often does a coach get roasted by his colleagues? I think that would be a pretty good way to actually get out of your head. And therefore we have a tendency to get stuck in our organization as a starting point. Football is, sorry about every American listening to this, but yeah, uh, that we start with organization instead of saying, okay, uh, football, if you can say yes or no here, Gary, but football is collaboration. I would agree. Yes. Yeah. And interactions. Okay. Yes. That precedes interaction or organization. Because if you're a kid starting out to play, you learn how to play with your mate, right? Mm-hmm. Before there's any coach or anything doing anything for you. And they realize when they're doing things in game, how to behave in a way. What? Hey, I can actually take the ball to the left and score. Oh, I'm going to continue to do that. An organization is next. And before actually organization, sorry about me saying that, that's objective principles comes first. So that would be, there is a best pass. I would claim there is a best, best pass in the game of football. The one that goes through everyone and the striker or anyone can just flick it in and there's a goal. That's the best pass. And next would be organization. And then you're coming back, coming to game plan or strategy in a way. But your organization, that's going to create, or you need to go back, what what kind of set does that bring to how we collaborate and how we interact? And that's going to affect the way that the objective principles too by choosing our choice of organization. So it's a circle and it's a vicious circle if you cannot see it from above or be in it and realize everything is intertwined. Would the mistake then be for coaches to almost rely too much on organization and direct players? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, either you're better or you say like, okay, we have this organization and it's gonna cover everything. No, it's not. It's not going to help from slump or anything like that, mm. but it just creates mirror of foundation, as I'm saying here. And, and we've just been looking at attacking, but what you can think of and reflection to yourself is 
am I actually helping the players to solve the problems out there? Or am I actually limiting their ways to solve problems out there? Yeah, well, we're, we're talking here two days after Messi has chipped the goalkeeper in a low block, and that's not yeah. what no coach in the world would find out a solution. And... No, and it's he's a paradigm shifter in itself. Mm. Maradona did it before. Oh, you should have big players, blah, blah, blah. You probably players only have a peak for a certain amount of years, blah, blah, blah. But Messi, he just don't give a shit and just moves on. Yeah, n- nice uh, to to move in this direction because, you know, a lot of people I think co- the r- rotations and interchanges. So obviously, it's it's difficult to get there. So mm. coaches will blame or or identify players' technical ability as limitations to do that. But I wanted to think a bit more about how teams that I would watch or have coached struggle with that and. I would say the speed or nature of the game sometimes because you need that period of patience and possession to get players from A to B. Um, mm. But what, what's what do you think teams with struggle with the most? Do you think it's the technical ability or is it the lack of patience? Well, I think it's it's a, there are as you say there are these two are components, but in the bigger picture, it's not. It's about almost referring back to the 70s where Renus Mitchell stated that the average game situation is 40 meters depth and 20 meters wide. And instead of counting in everything at the same time, if you, Gary, just pass the ball sideways to me and all of a sudden we got a new situation. So instead of making it like an 11 against 11 kind of thing, make it smaller and make look at a typical situation that you're facing. Therefore, on the ball, you need to realize that, okay, we need to solve this and rotation and any changes are more means. It's not the end. And in order, you need to beat your opponent in order to actually score a goal. So, and you're going to do that either by, either by a numbers of game situations or it might be just one or two but either way you're going to get into certain situations that are pretty similar based on the kind of players that you have the level and everything like that so it's actually on a, a coach problem as a starting point and after that it's a player's problem so how we're actually designing the exercise or how we are I suppose, presenting the game to our players, that's the problem? In a way, and how you build up onto that, and in what way you can be, as Bielsa is, and we've been neglecting a few parts of putting that into, because he starts out with one or, sorry, three players, one ball carrier, and two players making the actual movement actions to rotate. So they get like a reference on how to moving forward. So didactically, he's probably the most maliciously efficient or detail-oriented coach out there. But it might be actually allowing the players, referring back to actually allow the players to reflect and put in their input in order to solve 
a certain game situation. Just a short break to remind anyone listening to set aside a few minutes of your day to check out Sports Lab 360, a new online program focused on player development from a game understanding and soccer IQ perspective. The program is the first of its kind, empowering you as a coach to control the tactical development of your players outside of time spent on the field. Use the platform to assign soccer homework to your players, selecting modules that coincide with the tactical focus of training. Players will work through the module that you assign, seeing game film examples, engaging with animated interactive lessons and taking a quiz at the end to check for understanding. This helps you to identify potential areas of development on a team or player basis while optimizing the limited time you have on the field with your players. Check out Sports Lab 360. Delighted to team up with them for these podcasts. Back to John. Jed Davis was was uh, tweeting about it today and on a post and a lot of stuff in the book is unopposed. Is that is that the value of unopposed that it gives you just the picture to reflect on and then maybe that's just the starting point? It might be a starting point, but at times we I think we're right now there's a big massive movement towards the functional. And the game is a starting point. I like the, that fact. But how do you dissect it and actually create a framework for your players? Um, I think we need to aid them a lot more. And that might be movements and motorical skills in a way. Is that because space is becoming more and more rare and it's becoming more at a premium now against, you know, as, as teams, as the game progresses? teams are just defensively eating up more and more space so it's just finding ways to create that in possession yeah it is and uh, but if you get one or two yards or even three yards in uh, soccer that's great and in order to create some kind of chaos or disorganizing the opponent but you need to be aware of where to punch them and hit them so it's kind of a way that philosophically you're always playing against someone or something and that's not it might be higher up the pitch or it might be lower down the pitch in your earlier build up you're always playing against something and it's not the ball that's that moves you want to move the opponent i find this really interesting you talked about the battle of the rhythm at the beginning of games with bielsa how does he approach this and how does he win this? Because a lot of coaches will say, well, hey, first 20 minutes, you know, win the physical battle and go from there. But, you know, what's the differences between Bielsa? Well, his, I said it before back in the day, he's playing, um, basically he's playing soccer on, on amphetamine. But that's kind of interesting in a way. But he overwhelms the opponent. That's my take on it. But besides that, he manages to find passages that leads on well, a good way to start a game is actually start getting more goal scoring chances than the opponent. And the reoccurring fact that he's overwhelming the opponents and really on my mind all the time is the Bilbao against United away where they actually overwhelmed them and they were lucky enough to just get uh, one, two. So that's a reoccurring thing for him. But by saying let's start quickly, it might just be 
you might just be talking physically, right? But what your what's your suggestion there? Is the number one playing a tempo that makes the other team uncomfortable, and two, you know, go out and create and try to score early. So be yeah. act tactically a little bit more uh, adventurous. And he brings in. He likes to cal. He has a calculated risk, and he wants to play with a risk. And other coaches might be cagey, like the first 10, 15. Keep a clean sheet. Make sure that we get ourselves into the game and move on from that. Oh, like that's that's my youth soccer. I can I can still hear it. Like I still yeah. you know, <laughs> keep it tight for the first fifteen minutes. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> And where does that lead you? Where does so that lead you? Not very far. Yeah, and are you supposed to switch mood just after that? Instead of like, okay, I want to dictate this game and I want to dominate the opponent. How do we do it? So there's really the basic two questions. How do I do it to win this game? Or how do I avoid to lose this game? Staying on that fear aspect almost for coaches or risk. A lot yeah. of coaches, when when you moved on to then the interchanges in the book in the final third, you know, I'm thinking, you know, why do coaches struggle with this? Why do we not have more of it? But then I'm thinking, well, I think the number one fear would be that we're going to have two players in the same space or one player is going to move and the not player is going to react. And when do they go? What's the trigger? I suppose who's responsible for answering all these questions? Well, first of all, I think it's uh, with the grand respect of the age level and everything that coaches are working at the moment. But I've been looking at games where um, Bielsa's teams had seven players in a really small space. Um, so therefore, take the fair thing out of it. And if you lose that game, okay, take that away. But you have to start on the bigger picture, right? And if there's more, if there's two players in one tight area, that might actually give you an advantage somewhere else, right? It not, you should not look at it as a disadvantage. I think that's um, it's the human psyche in a way. We're trying to take the risk and look at the risk instead of looking at the opportunity. For me, that's part of the enjoyment of the book. It's like yeah. we're never going to get 50 50 balance, but there's so many different things that the game's pulling us in different directions where yeah. blow and quick or objective and subjective are personality copying or creating. Mm. And, you know, it's almost then it's a different journey as a coach when you're going through that there because you have to decide personally how much you're going to move in one direction or the other. Yeah. Which is why, moving on nicely then, you ask more questions in the book than any book I've ever read. I thought it was in one of my textbooks back when, when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that why you want to turn it into a, you know, a real reflection exercise? I do. Uh, and obviously Hans too. But as well as I'm working with this company right now that actually dwells on decision making. And I might flick that in later on. But think it's actually part of I don't want to take I want to be my igniter or someone who actually creates a spark for that coach to take themselves on a way different journey that they're thinking they want to go through and what they should be chasing themselves how they are in 10 years or who they want to be in 20 years 
So I think it's actually with all respect for everyone's different journey that they are on, as you say, and uh, trying to filter things. And um, looking back at the interchanges, it's a collective game. How about you actually, instead of just the two players, how about the third and the fourth player ending up in a good position? So the problem is not the problem. It's the attitude about the problem. I posted a thing yesterday on the Modern Soccer Coach about Pep and Linders. He talked about yeah. combining passion and structure mm. and the character of the team mirroring the character of the coach. And So for BLs, I see this fantastic structure and there is quite you know that, that balance between freedom and risk and structure, creativity, all that good stuff. But, you know, his... His personality, John, is is remarkable, and if that's a lot of stuff that I've read about him, is this, mm. you know, eccentric figure. Um, mm. How much does that help him create a playing style that is a little bit different? You have to be different to make a difference. Of course, you have to. Uh, obviously, it's so there's so many things about this. I know, I know at one point he all prior to DVDs or digital media, he had like 50,000 match tapes at his home, historical games, and he had been going through them. So therefore he has a way of looking at, there's only, what is it? 34 types of passes and all those things, but he has taken the art, the coaching to such a, higher level than everyone gone before and done it on a more systematic way and obviously the Menotti Bilardo thing has always been like overcasting the whole thing for him they're they're basically more one is more depth and one is more off just to give people a more light version and he obviously tried to blend those two schools really and uh, and obviously, he's, uh, he's an inspiration, uh, more of an enigma in a way. Do you think, and we're just guessing here, but how would he do against or coaching the big, big players? What, do you have any insight on that or any opinion on it? I think there's a big thing that he, I think he admitted at one point. I know there's not a lot of interviews with the guy, but... I think if you look at a bigger team, well, he had it. If you're looking at Argentina at that point where he was the head coach in Argentina, he had, if I'm throwing Batistuta in there, and you got Crespo. At that point, the most dominant strikers besides mm -hmm. Ronaldo, probably. And he couldn't end up playing both of them at the same time, really. And he had a difficulty in order to allow the individual set or individuals to actually make the system a little bit different. Consistently, he's been teaching younger or less known players to a way higher level than people expected, especially Chile. So I think the pedigree of him is more taking players and developing them and developing teams and clubs in a way to be beyond what they expected. It's more about a legacy than the trophies. 
Yeah, because I wonder why you know the lifespan of an of a coach in England at the Premier League is is quite short. But because he's so good, why would you not just say I'll I'll triple your money or or give you a blank check? You know, if you're one of the top ten teams in the Premier League, you could probably do that financially for him at Leeds. Yeah, but I don't think he's he's not interested in money per se in that way. It has to be a challenge where he can create create a legacy in a way. And um, of course, they could do that. But I think a lot of these clubs are biased and uh, he might open a pathway for South American coaches a lot more in England at this point. Um, and it's almost like looking at MLS from a distant point. Everyone is going South American at the time. So therefore, it's always everyone is chasing the new the T-shirt of the week. And are they willing to actually pay the price with someone like Marcello Bielsa and actually remont the whole structure that they're sitting on? And in a way, they might be a little bit protective about their job still yeah he, he would be difficult on a day-to-day for someone who wanted this the status quo wouldn't he yeah mm. and the status quo that you know that leads to regression eventually the last the last two questions for you again i'm, I'm just picking little things without telling everyone about uh, you know I, i'm gonna urge everyone to buy the book but without giving them every line in it Another thing that, that came out to me was the last line, don't become a fundamentalist. Hmm? Yeah. What you know, can you talk about that? Well oh, it's it's kind of a reflection of our society. Once again, I'm bringing that in, but in a way, in all these coaching that goes through um, courses that say that you need to be functional, you need to think objective, and you need to do this. It's all good in a way, but don't point yourself to where you actually put yourself in the corner where actually don't give yourself any room for any decisions on your own. And it's always this populism, the new black, the t-shirt of the week. And for me, it's kind of a standpoint of, I'm not a fundamentalist. I want to embrace people. And I know less but I want to learn more. And it's kind of a me sharing out in, just in a short sentence that you should never get yourself into the point where you don't have any choices. You should always have choices. And looking at a picture out for me, I would rather choose an organization that has integrity values and are more aligned with with what I stand for than suffer in a high profile game. So not working with fundamentalists and not being a fundamentalist on my own really. I love that. Love that. And then I think this is going alongside that there then is is your last line of the acknowledgments. Yeah. You said we we realize we've been wasting a lot of you're talking about the players here last but not yeah, like yeah, yeah. players. We realize we've been wasting a lot of your time. We're grateful to say the least. And again, made me chuckle, made me think. Is is that a characteristic of your coaching that you're willing to do different things and take your players to different places? Yeah, uh, it's been that. It's not me like 
creating a pipeline direct from Klopp or anything like that. It's more me, my good old colleague, Brian Clairhouder, that's mentioned in the acknowledgements. He calls me the mad scientist in a way. And um, I think that's true. But at the point where I did all that, because it's years back in a way, and yeah, at times I fall for that trap too, that I tried different things in order to solve the problem, look at it at, at different aspects. And therefore it might be overwhelming for some players. And that's me saying I'm, I'm a little bit sorry about that. And then just kind of putting it all then together, it's study Bielsa and learn from him, but then, yeah. you know, find yourself and find what works and be authentic. And have integrity, for God's sake. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's another way to make a difference today, isn't it? Be honest and open. And Yeah, you don't have to be showboating about it or actually be like a buffoon or anything. It's more about, from my point of view, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can do it in a different way. So it's be authentic. That's a great way to put it. I love it. I love it. John, I'm going to tell everyone to buy the book for sure. It's it's one of the most enjoyable books I've read. And uh, I congrats on putting it all together. And, you know, I hope everyone picks it up and, and learns as much as I did. So thank you for putting it out there. And just a small note, I hope everyone enjoys the QR codes too. That might be a thing or two for everyone. Awesome. John, thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. Thanks so much to John for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I love the book, obviously, as you could tell. And I could chat to John all day there about, about his views on the game and philosophies and, and all that good stuff. A big takeaway for me was towards the end there where he said, I want to be the igniter or the spark that takes the coach on a way different journey. I just thought that's so powerful, not just because that's what inspires him, but also of, you know, he wants people to think differently. He wants people to, even though he's using Marcelo Bielsa as an inspiration towards himself, he's not telling you to be Marcelo Bielsa. And in an age where we have so much access to education and so much access to information, it's very, very important that we don't follow other people. And that we don't go down a road of trying to be someone that's not us. Because in order for you to be a successful coach, just basic stuff, you need buy-in from your players. And your players aren't going to buy in to you if you're not being yourself or you don't know who you are. So as much as player development and coach development is about studying the game and studying players, a lot of it should be about studying ourselves as well. And that brings me back to the book and... The amount of questions in it that makes you just reflect. Some of them are tactical, some of them are personal, some of them are philosophical. But it made me go back and think about the amount of choices we have as coaches. Opposed v unopposed, slow v fast, patience v instant gratification, structure v freedom, objective v subjective, risk versus safety, copy versus creative. There is no right or wrong answer in any of those and, and you just have to find what you want as a coach. And... It made me think of the conversation with uh, Jose Maria Baquero that the blog that I wrote a while ago when sitting down with him and just the way he views the game is so pure, but also there's no right or wrong way. You just have to believe and you have to go down a journey. And 
with your players with passion and work and detail and the detail bit is what I'm going to finish that he stresses in the book that Bielsa has a detail like no other and I would argue that you can't get to detail unless you know what you are about what you want and where you want to take your players so as much as we would all think that we're all detail oriented there's way more we could do there's way deeper we can go into this game and there's way more things we could do to find out more about ourselves so the book is fantastic in doing that i would highly recommend you go and check it out and would love to hear your thoughts on it if it impacted you the same way it impacted me so always appreciate you listening at gary kernin on instagram at gary kernin on twitter thanks for supporting the podcast have a great week goodbye thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach kernine on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com